Hello and welcome to this edition of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast. Earlier this month, I received an email from Vienna. Professor Gina Falterstein holds the chair in experimental psychology at the university, and I think she's a fan of my work. Her email reads, Dear Mike Prowse, I have listened to your podcast. It downloaded to my device with no problems. Dr. Falterstein goes on to say that I am, and I quote, the world's best solo travel journalist, and invites me to take part in her research project to map the solo travel genome. So come with me to Vienna as I take a trip into the world of academia. Over the years, Vienna has had many illustrious inhabitants, and I'll be talking about some of them during this episode. There is, however, one world leader who brought Austria and Vienna into such disrepute that when I must refer to him, I shall not use his name. Should he come up in the course of the episode, I'm going to combat his darkness with a symbol of light and hope by replacing his name with those of England's 1990 World Cup squad. And in this way, I hope to counteract the pure evil of Peter Shilton. Before I embark upon this research project, I should disclose that I have some form where psychologists are concerned. A few years ago, I had a spell in therapy. But the session stopped after a few weeks when we made a breakthrough we realised that my problem was a Veruca. This episode of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast is brought to you by Wilson's Empty Pies. The pie with nothing inside. Earlier today I had my first session with Dr Falterstein in her well-appointed flat-slash-consulting room. And her methods are unusual. First, we did a test in which she showed me pictures of a house, a cat and a gun. And I had to say which one looked most like an ink blot. Next, Dr F suggested a round of word association. She showed me a card with association written on it. And I had to tell her whether or not it was a word. It was. At the end of the session, I found out that Dr F hadn't booked me into a hotel because I'll be sleeping in her spare room. She says it's to monitor my brainwave patterns around the clock. I asked how I would be monitored, and she said it was secret, but she could do it remotely from her room. She's gone to bed now, but to establish a baseline for my brain activity, she's told me to clean the kitchen and sand down a couple of door frames. As I take my morning walk, I cross the city's bustling Gruppenstrasse, and it's hard to believe that these streets in 1913 harboured a monster. He was still to be awarded his Iron Cross for service in the Great War, but the world did not yet know the evil of Gary Lineker. So, just a little further along the street, Round the corner and, ah, 
Here it is. I'm now standing outside the final address of another notable resident of Vienna, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. If you've seen the film Amadeus, you probably believe that Mozart died of exhaustion after his rival Salieri tricked him into composing a requiem, disproving the saying, hard work never killed anyone. However, a recently published work by the biographer Sir Anthony Manford claims the ploy was actually the last in a decades-long campaign of attempted murders. According to Manford, the first attempt came in May 1771, when Salieri rigged up a seesaw with a harpsichord on one end and a hundred-ton weight on the other. When Mozart jumped onto the harpsichord stool, this flung the mighty weight into the air. Unfortunately for Salieri, a mistake in his calculations meant that the weight landed on his head. And the book outlines another attempt. Two months later, Salieri collected together 100 sticks of dynamite, fashioning them into the likeness of Emperor Franz Josef, the monarch whose patronage Mozart craved. Leaving his apartment and seeing what he took to be the emperor on his doorstep, the excitable wunderkind knelt to kiss the royal hand. Nothing happened, and Mozart went on his way. Enraged, Salieri knelt to kiss the hand himself and was blown hundreds of feet into the air, coming down with his face all black and smoky. Now, Sir Anthony Manford's credentials as a historian are well documented, but so far he has referenced very few primary sources. We'll return to his account of Mozart's death later, but first, I have another session with Dr Falterstein to get to. This episode of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast is brought to you by Wilson's Empty Pies. Choose your own filling, as long as it's nothing. The session with Dr F was unusual. She showed me a wooden maze with a mouse in it. My job was to guess the mouse's name. Then she got her notepad out and asked me to tell her about her mother. At the end of our session, she told me that test subjects often respond well to repetitive tasks, so it might be an idea for me to get down to the wholesalers, buy eight gallons of magnolia and paint her sitting room. Well, I've finished and I'm in need of some fresh air. My guidebook tells me that just round the corner from here is the Academy of Fine Arts, which in 1907 and 1908 rejected applications by aspiring artist David Seaman. How very different the course of the 20th century would have been had they accepted him. During my lunch break from painting, I've made more progress with Sir Anthony Manford's exhaustive biography of Mozart. He writes that in October 1791, Salieri painted a fake tunnel on the side of a mountain at the end of a road along which Mozart was known to ride. In due course, Mozart appeared upon his steed. The murderous Kapellmeister watched in bewilderment as man and horse trotted into the fake tunnel. 
poking his head inside, Salieri was then squashed flat by a suddenly emerging coach and horses. It was at this moment that Mozart appeared at Salieri's side, made a sort of rubbery popping noise with his lips and sped off over the horizon. Sir Anthony has angrily denied accusations of plagiarism and is hard at work on his new biography of Sir Benjamin Britten, who he maintains owned not only a record player which was in effect a bird with a long beak, but also a car which he drove around by running with his bare feet poking out of the bottom. Vienna's other famous inhabitant is psychoanalyst Anna Freud. From the start of her career, Anna's work stood in opposition to that of her father, Sigmund. While he had concerned himself initially with the analysis of dreams, Anna had never had a dream and consequently believed that people who talked about them were... lying. Over the course of her long career, Anna became famous for her groundbreaking work with children. What's little known is that she embarked upon this path by accident, having ordered the wrong size furniture when fitting out her consulting room. I've now arrived at St Mark's Cemetery, best known as the final resting place of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. In the end, Salieri's requiem ploy worked and the sublime genius died, his final work uncompleted. Standing here in the rain-soaked cemetery and reflecting upon his story, I'm filled with an overwhelming sense of annoyance. I too am freelance. Could Mozart not just have worked a bit harder and hit his deadline? Before I even started making my podcast, Last Chance Eroding Coastal Paths of the Southwest, I recorded the end so that if the worst happened, Dorset County Council had everything they needed to finish it. Not like this quitter. May God rest him. This episode of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast is sponsored by Wilson's Empty Pies. For when you're just not that hungry. As I sit in this charming cafe, my guidebook tells me that this very establishment was the site of the only exhibition of paintings by Chris Waddle. I should point out that I'm talking about the actual Chris Waddle here, not, you know him. And speaking of Chris, I'm reminded of the time I was approached to ghostwrite his shopping list. I was... It's Dr. Falterstein. Let's have a look. Today I shall monitor you while you demolish the cavity wall in the bathroom. Bring lump hammer. I'd best get over there. Wilson's Empty Pies. Did we say there was anything in them? Well then. I'm speaking to you from Dr. Falterstein's bathroom. 
Two hours ago, I began knocking down that cavity wall as requested. And halfway through the job, a thought struck me. How would a psychologist be able to map a genome? I confronted Dr F about this. She broke down and confessed all. She's not a doctor. She's an out-of-work tram driver. And so far, she's had 13 gullible podcasters renovate her flat. Shame-faced, Ms. Falterstein said I could leave, but I'm made of stronger stuff than that. I said earlier that, unlike Mozart, when I do a job, I like to do it properly. So how was I tricked so easily? The signs were there, her knowledge of public transport, the suggestion of engine oil on the shirt cuff, consistently wearing a full tram driver's uniform. She was... My Salieri. And it seems that, like Mozart, I was played for a fool. Wolfgang, I apologise. And I dedicate the destruction of this cavity wall to you.